Hello, welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 125. No real theme for this episode, I'm just collecting together a load of albums I've had, like, sort of listed on to talk about for a while, but I've not been able to fit into any other themes. So the first album I want to cover is a slightly older Tech Dev album that is one that I, I largely bounced off of when it first came out, and has grown on me increasingly with time. This is Deeds of Flesh, seventh album of what's to come from 2008. So I remember getting this more or less when it came out because a friend was quite hyped about it. And at the time, it, you know, it for me very much fell into that category of a lot of tech death of the era. And despite liking a few songs, I kind of largely didn't keep listening to it but there was one the the first track on the album the waters of space i remember having a really cool bit lead guitar so i kept putting it on every so often and it's sort of never left rotation and more and more in recent years i've come back to the album and actually you know kind of penetrated its weird complexities and have come to actually really love it so these are flesh if you're sort of not aware of them around for quite a while they started actually all the way back in 93 with their debut in 96 so they've kind of rode that wave as a brutal slash technical death metal band of you know the the very start of that scene almost like not too far behind stuff like cryptopsy and suffocation putting out like under their most like some of their legendary albums like path of the weakening and inbreeding the Anprophogia. Oh, I never know how to say that word, but like, yeah, two of their early albums are very much considered sort of classics of the brutal death metal genre, and they're putting those out in the late 90s, kind of heyday of the American brutal death metal scene. And they just kept kind of chipping along with really kind of consistent output. I've not really listened to any of the the free albums that follow Path of the Weakening. So when I got to of What's to Come, it felt like a real change for the band. So Path of the Weakening is this very straight ahead, like really kind of chugging heavy, like just steamroll of a brutal death metal album. Whereas What's to Come is this wild, technical, very showy, oddly complex album. Um, and I get the impression from reading reviews that this was quite a um, quite a change. So the lineup um, changed a bit going into it. They still had the core of the band of Eric Lindmark, who was guitarist and vocalist um, for the entire time of the band until he sadly passed away in 2018. And then drummer Mike Hamilton, who had been with them since Path of the Weakening. But then we got in... Sean Southern on guitar, who is one of those weird characters where I can't find much about the guy, and this is his only credit of an album ever. And then um, a Norwegian bass player from Broad Road Phone, uh, uh, Erland Kaspersen, who um, also went on to be on Spawn of Possession's legendary Incurso album. So, you know, a, a clear talent in adding uh, bass and additional vocals. But Sean's the weird one here. Of like, this album is so kind of musically accomplished, weird and wonderful. The, the process of learning and recording this album must have been exceptionally difficult. And I know that's, that's easy to say about almost any tech deaf band. And, you know, it's 2008. We do have the the benefits of modern recording. But it's, it's the way the, like songs like as much as you, you yeah you could construct this piece by piece in studio it is the way the songs are constructed it is kind of so impressive like these structures are completely and utterly bizarre so it's not an uncommon thing in death metal to have this kind of flow of lyrics where each song is just almost like 
a poem but with like no repeating parts like the the the, the vocals are more or less this these this just like string of run-on slightly you know obviously death metal phrasing sentences but the music kind of fits with that as well where there'll be the odd repeating riff or motif but they all they'll be all over the place you listen to a track like water to the space it starts with this like great slow building intro like this really cool guitar passage that layers more and more on top of it and then like the drums come in producing this really fast double kick and then there's like this amazing passage lead guitar and then like you switch into very brutal sounding death metal with these riffs that often like stop and start and regularly are switching up from these very fast pick passages to slower bits but it always feels like it's switching through time signatures like just being as difficult and complex as possible which which like you know might be why this album is kind of such a sleeper hit because it's there's so much happening you can't just latch on to the like the song you you know how you listen to like say an opf song and they're complex there's a lot going on there but on first listen you've kind of got the measure of enjoying it like you you, you hear it and go like okay I, I I sort of understood that. There may be subtleties I'm going to find later. I feel something like this Deezer Flesh album, this applies to a lot of stuff in the genre as well. I just don't think however harder attention you're paying, you're going to get the most out of on first listen. You need to hear it four or five times before you start kind of passing all the bits and pieces and can get through like the intensity, the noise, the speed. So all the cool interesting details that are going on there and there is so many really fun elements of this like the the bass playing is fantastic on it we we get a, with Erlen's playing we get a bass player like really cuts through the mix and does some like wildly technical like tapping passages like it almost sounds like he's using a fretless bass in places or these bits where he's like almost doing this percussive like i assume like slap bass kind of stuff that adds some extra kind of rhythmic kind of intensity at certain points the drum performance is ludicrously complex like this near constant rumble of double kicks and like just endless sort of fills and and just mike hamilton just being the guy leading these ever-changing riffs and it is interesting because you listen to say like there is riffs in the title track of what's to come that do sound like that old ultra trite chugging stuff where the guitar bass drum like kick drums all sync on this very very fast passages of just playing lots of notes in 4-4 but then they regularly just switch that out to something else so those bits appear but then there's lots of other stuff i say there's like some really beautiful bits of lead guitar like water space has this like lead motif that comes through twice once in the intro and once in the middle of the song that is just just amazingly like nice sounding um um unearthly invent also has this towards the end like a really amazing bit of lead guitar that just you know previously would feel out of place in these are flesh stuff like my kind of memory of all their old music is is to shy away from that kind of slightly self-indulgent showy stuff but it, it really works on this album something that very much works in its favor as well is the kick drum is you know it's a, that kind of relatively standard triggered kick drum sound for the era but it's not too high in the mix like there there is something that really doesn't work for me in in a lot of like sort of modern tech death mixes where it's 
just I find the kick drum to be somewhat overwhelming. That album by uh, Vitriol, to Babe from the Throat of Cowardice, had this problem for me. And uh, like it, it is, it is an incredible album. Like those playthrough videos and stuff of the band are legendary for a reason. Like the bass playing, guitar work, absolutely spectacular. The drum playing, it, incredible as well. But the way it's mixed, the kick drum is so loud, you often miss some of the cool elements in happening in other in other bits of the sound and and, and it, this is a stupid hang-up but it's because it's triggered it's like it's almost the most synthetic part of the sound that ends up dominating the mix and i guess it's, it's what drives it forward there is there is good reason for it but yeah sometimes i just wish that wasn't quite so domineering and and possibly that's why the, this deeds of flesh album really stuck with me because i was so able to penetrate it because I could hear absolutely everything going on. The kind of element I've not touched on too much is the vocals. Like the vocal delivery is solid. Like Eric is a like you know really decent vocalist, and he has this quite interesting vibe to it. Cause the lyrics are very very involved. Like at the start of this album, is all about sort of an alien race comes to Earth with the intention of like killing and harvesting humanity for for some kind of mystical energy but um rather than the usual tech death like there's a lot of brutal death metal albums i shouldn't say tech death is more brutal death trend of alien race comes and kills all of humanity is is quite a common theme i quite like this because it's like a sci-fi story of when put under extreme pressure humanity wakens some like latent psychic ability and is able to fight back and then that becomes the story of so the following two albums uh portals to canaan and nucleus i think follow this story along um and yeah it's just 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 a cool cool idea for a very short like brutal death metal album but yeah because there's this whole kind of story that and they're trying to communicate they, there's a lot of passages of the vocals on like a huge amount of stuff put quite awkwardly into this very complex music so yeah it it's kind of uh, interestingly all over the place in that regard um i, I, I hadn't mentioned as well it's, it's a unique leader release um which is completely unsurprising because eric also ran unique leader like you know being someone who is hugely important to the kind of evolution of of this kind of tech death. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this album was because of a lot of reviews I saw of it at the time and and I've, since like if you go back and look at how it was covered when it came out and and put, you know really how I felt about it when it came out is there's a lot of like commentary on it where it's like this is just standard tech death this is yet another one of these albums yeah it's really showy but you know there's no substance to it. And I realized it, I'm completely guilty of thinking this all the time. And it brings up just an interesting question of, like, how do you deal with music like this that requires a lot of a listener to, to understand what's going on? Because it's certainly true that a lot of tech death can just be this, um, you know, musicians just doing endless flurries of notes, like the fastest sweet picking possible over you know, a drum track that is, like, basically programmed, like, there is stuff in the genre that's kind of a bit trashy, um, like, like in every genre, um, but might take a couple of listens to really work that out and sift that from stuff like, say, of what's to come, where I think there is 
some real depth to this album. Like, I, I, I think there's loads to be gained from it, but you would never see on first listen. And it's, it's a, it's an unfortunate nature of of how how most things are reviewed. We reviews are most useful to us on the day an album is released. So often, you know, if you're pressed for something, you've had an album a week or so, and you try to listen to that like along with everything else that's come out and maybe you only give it one or two listens and yeah just it sure is it sounds like another another tech death album another one of those really fast you know ball of sound Uh, but there's something that gets lost in that um and this this gets applied to the the sort of old guard of bands as well like you know every time cannibal corpse put out an album it's always like oh yeah, it's just just another Cannibal Corpse album, will be the vast majority of reviews for it, but Cannibal Corpse aren't like a band like, say, Boltfrow, who, like, you know, more or less just did the same style with slightly better uh, production and, you know, ever so slight tweaks, but, like, Cannibal Corpse do sort of invent within their genre. Like, you know, if you put albums like sort of The Wretched Spawn next to their earliest stuff and next to the latest stuff, they, they are very different. There is a lot that's changed in there. And there is a level of sort of complexity and composition that is, is really impressive. Like, a band, when they were starting out, could not have pulled off something like they play now. It's the the, the, you know, the way, like, ability in the scene has increased with all the wonders of, of technology moving forward. But there we hit kind of like the crux of the problem. Like ability for the sake of ability can be you know fun for a bit but it's it's kind of empty like you know once you've seen one guy shredding a million miles an hour you know that's you, that, that loses its charm over time but sometimes being able to play that fast means people create these really inventive songs that have all these interlocking elements that given time you can you can discover something really interesting in there but you kind of have to put time into all of it to to find that. And there are those albums that kind of break free, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, Kasperson did play on uh, Spawn of the Possessions in Curso, which for the most part I think he's now accepted as more or less like kind of a modern day classic of that style. But an album that wasn't immune to those kind of reviews of, yeah, this is just like wildly self-indulgent nonsense. Whereas I do think it's an album that was kind of like deeply thought about, and the way it's constructed is really interesting. As well as yeah, Christian Munzer doing his kind of mad shredding is great fun. But yeah, I guess the the point I'm getting at is I, I don't have a solution to this issue, but like wildly complex technical metal. That, that has a lot of interesting depths to it can just often get lost in the the shuffle because it follows tropes of the genre so you know on first listen you're kind of like let's say like production tropes of the genre i think particularly or or sort of certain tropes of like how the vocals are done might mean you miss all this kind of hidden depth behind going ah yeah it's just another one of these because most of the time now if you're checking out new music i know i'm i'm certainly this way a lot of the time I'll give an album five, ten minutes of, like, half attention, and if something doesn't jump out of me, I'll move on to the next, because there's 20 interesting albums that come out a week, not to mention the, you know, (laughs) 500,000 that exist historically that, that are interesting that I've never gotten to. And I think music of this kind of nature 
he's particularly set to get lost in the shuffle kind of very technical very complex stuff without any clear obvious hooks particularly if it's to say this teaser flesh album i'm pretty good going back to because it's a known a known functionally it's a band that we've been aware of for years and have a reputation if it was a newer band at that point in 2008 doing the same thing i i, I definitely would have missed it and yeah i, I don't know i, I think it's an, it's a thing i've been thinking about for a while and yeah sorry for the like eight minute detour into, into that but it's yeah I, I'd, be, I'd be really interested you know your thoughts on it because i i feel that's an area that often gets maligned and i i'm as guilty as this as the next person and sometimes I do think it is out of a, a level of actually maybe there's some great art happening here that I'm just not quite smart enough to uh, to always get the hang of or not willing enough to put the time into to, to unpick and we'll just write off as going, ah, it's just another one of those very technical bands. But yeah, I, I advise you all to go back and give uh, Deeds of Flesh of What's to Come a try and, you know, follow on the trilogy, Portals of Canaan and Nucleus are are both really interesting albums that actually seem to have gone down a lot better, like maybe because of the the massive gaps in time between them. cover an album from around the same period of time with a polar opposite approach to recording and uh, attitude towards their sound this is the debut and only album from worm phlegm tomb of the ancient king so worm phlegm finished band um they did a demo in 2001 with an excruciatingly long title um which which is really good and then the, their debut album came out in 2006 tomb of the ancient king and I, I've seen it described as kind of having an almost sort of like black metal um, approach to recording Funeral Doom, and it's it's pretty accurate. That's that is a a really interesting sort of way to summarize what happens in this album. So it's over an hour, and it's only three songs. The first one, with a very long uh, title, I believe, and finish is is a full half hour of music, and starts with this really slow build, which kind of almost sounds comical but the way they pull it off just quite works where they just start by playing like basically like the lowest note on a piano over and over and eventually this sort of riff starts to emerge and that slowly builds that riff is just a repeating motif throughout the music is exceptionally simple but the presentation kind of just makes it fascinating so the band are a three piece um each like guitar bass and drums and each of them does vocals and you've got this really thick heavy guitar tone often just 
either there's nearly always two guitars right it's going like one playing these kind of massive sounding chords along with the bass i think this i think that's guitar and bass making that sound and then then there'll be like a kind of lead often playing a quite simple but very upsetting very horror movie feeling um motif that will yeah, often continue out throughout the whole song and then it's there's a lot of vocals on this i know like a lot of funeral doom often goes very sparse instrumental pass- passages worm phlegm almost go the opposite direction of as soon as like ratchet into sort of the music happening um all three vocalists are doing stuff and there's there's such an interesting range of vocals like you get these the kind of core is these very low grunts that are often quite rhythmic kind of like on the groove and then just like out of nowhere these terrifyingly pained high streaks or just like gurgling noises none of it you could pull lyrics out of i think if this music was completely instrumental it would still be quite impressive like it's very very atmospheric like they create this just immensely unsettling and engaging energy that means despite it being three songs over an hour like it never drags like this is how you put on you sit down you go the whole way with it but the the x factor is really these vocals like the that performance is so so kind of inhuman and terrifying the three vocalists do such a good job between them it's it's often mentioned like even the metal archives page opens with a, a passage about this saying like the band uh, allegedly like self-harmed to create these vocals just one of those things where again sounds amazing but in in actuality i think it must be like a mentality thing because because the the actual result of that if they were harming while doing the vocals would just be a lot of like oh oh out no <laughs> which is not what's on display here i haven't seen it with a lot of a lot of those kind of bands but you know whatever they did to get into the headspace to do this um it, you know they there's clearly some <laughs> some evil ritual being performed to create music this unsettling and this sort of otherworldly because it, it, it achieves so much with kind of such flawed performances the 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 drums in particular like to not be too harsh like they're kind of rubbish like the kick drum is this really wet fud and any of the fast like i don't think the drummer could really play double kicks like you'd regularly have these passages where they just sort of slip out of time like it's clear that it's like the i think the rhythm guitar and bass i think really holding down the groove of this they're they, they're quite tight and the drums kind of almost a bit more loose around it and then as i say the vocals are incredibly loose especially in terms of the backing will just come in at absolutely bizarre intervals interestingly the the rest of the band have gone on to do a lot of stuff particularly the guitarist uh matty Macalella um is the guitarist for corpsed who are really excellent kind of finish sort of a doom death band i guess i, I guess put more in the death metal camp but yeah they play some very heavy music that is very different to this far more far more on the groove far more um I don't know, <laughs> like far less ethereal and feeling like it's just some album that slipped out of some 
dark realm and in a completely inexplicable fashion they feel more like just a very good death metal band whereas worm phlegm very much a band that just like it makes sense they they have one album and all like under pseudonyms and that that sort of just air of mystery because it's just it feels like one of those products that could have only happened once and was entirely down to some deal with an unholy entity Staying in Finland and the realm of the occult for this next release, um, this is actually a demo uh, by the band Charnel Rift, and the, it's their second demo from 2022, Arcane Death Veneration. This demo is kindly recommended to me by listener Wilhelm Sarakiski. Sorry for butchering your surname, but he, he also plays an excellent Finnish doom band, uh, Profitus, who um, their album, The Sadness of Time Passing, well worth checking out if you're into sort of the more funeral doom end of things. But yeah, yeah. So, Channel Riff is a really interesting one um, because you know when you get those bands who sort of very clearly are wearing like a specific influence on their sleeve. This is a band in that kind of vein, but the influence they they're following is kind of so uniquely them that um, it's great to have another band following in their footsteps. So. The band in question is Necros Christos. I really think these bands are. This band is like heavily influenced by that uh, that sound. Like their their EPs, like three kind of more traditional metal tracks, split with these pillar and altar um, interludes, like these acoustic atmospheric pieces of a minute long between each song, and then the song is this core of like kind of blackened death metal with very esoteric occult leaning lyrics like as you can tell from a title like arcane death veneration um it's you know it is that that vein stuff and i i, I love that um the front cover being this kind of altar of skulls um yeah it, it, it's all in that that sort of style the tr- production's a little raw and rough around the edges like the the drum capture feels very much like a couple of mics just set up in a room getting this this very raw sound but um it, it fits like the 
the nature of this sounding very like a live band really works for it and any kind of rough edges just fit with kind of the very grim vibe of the the recording the vocals i absolutely love so obviously taking influence from necros crystals that's a big shoes to fill in terms of a death metal vocalist there their singer is is incredibly unique and noticeable and they don't go in for quite the same thing but they do have that same level of having a very deep clear death metal growl and it's just got a lot of edge and character to it like you can really you can hear everything going on but you also get these sense of kind of like the importance and the dramaticism of all the lyrics being a demo this is quite a short release only about 25 minutes long but what it gets right in a similar way to those necros christmas albums is that structure of interlude song interlude song making that flow naturally because i i used to say for years albums like pestilence testimony of the ancients was always my go-to example where i just i didn't think that worked as an idea because it it breaks the flow but what's what channel rift do is these songs naturally have this ebb and flow where they will start building slowly reach a real peak in the middle and then come back down or end in such a way that an acoustic interlude just naturally follows even when it is more abrupt like a sempaternal malign chaos kind of stops on a cool beat but the the pace of the kind of acoustic guitar interlude of pillar four just works it feels like an absolutely natural transition and then transition from pillar four into icy ruins in the gray void like that hat like the as the last note of the the interlude fades like that song fades up and that has a gradual almost minute build before it really gets going but like in the middle of songs like that or black streams into infinity we get things really kick up we get into more blasting riffs so they are just naturally making this transition from these you know gentle pieces of a singular acoustic guitar into full-on blast beating black and death metal and it all feels like a natural choice and what was really nice as well it all keeps the energy none of this doesn't sound like a cult and evil it's a very everything about this sounds incredibly evil so yeah like while clearly following in the footsteps of an influence, they are doing something so amazing that um, I, I really think it's it's like a, a style I, I'd love to hear more bands doing, and I'd love to hear a full length from these guys in the future. episode it's a lot of albums from like 
various genres and stuff where I hadn't quite thought of a full episode to cover in, but I wanted to talk about. And this is another one that really fits with that. This is Hearse with their 2004 album Armageddon Monomoot. So Hearse is made up of Johan Lever, who you may know from early Arch Enemy fame, and then drummer slash guitarist bass player, kind of his assume main songwriter Max Fornell, and then Matthias Lung on lead guitar, and they they play kind of a variety of death and roll. It's it's it, and that's probably why I'd never do. I don't know if I'd do a full episode on death and roll. It's not a genre I know sort of too deeply, but I think. This album's perfectly situated to be something I sort of paid attention to because I really love those early Arch Enemy albums with Jan Lever on vocals. So his his like his voice just immediately triggers kind of some real nostalgia in me for like music I was getting into when I was like fourteen, fifteen. But also like they have an interesting connection to the world of death and roll because their band Furball, um, a Swedish death metal slash death and roll band, their first album, Those Shredded Dreams. He's one of the real precursors of the genre. It's, um, it predates sort of Wolverine Blues. It, like to my mind, I think he's the earliest death and roll album I've come across. I don't know. There's probably some other examples out there, and I'd love for you to share them if you can think of one earlier. But yeah, so they're they're kind of interestingly situated as being a band who are kind of like on the edge of a lot of interesting things. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm playing in both Carnage and Arch Enemy, and you know them being around those early nineties in Sweden um you know being sort of somewhat connected to to the scene so it was interesting to see them reunite for for a band like Hearst but actually it's, it's a band I've kind of came to quite late and I, I, I really like Armageddon Monomoo I've not really dug into too much of their other stuff um I get the impression it's sort of more in this vein but uh it was just a really solid album of lots of very rocky kind of more traditional verse chorus death and roll songs but i think what really you know makes it stand out is that lead guitar playing there's like the the solos of matthias are, are just excellent like they loads of really memorable like you know these are very sort of pentatonic sort of shreddy moments but they're 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 super melodic and if like me you've come to this wanting a bit more of that sort of early arch enemy sound maybe lacking some of the edge of the the sort of black earth album but it, you know it's 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 got some of that charm if, if you you still have a an ear for that and aren't so into where sort of arch enemy gone recent years i think you could have a lot of fun going back to something like um versus stuff this is certainly nothing new for the genre like the the kind of construction of the songs is the drums tend to be relatively restrained for for metal like while there is touches of double kick you're never really going to have a full blast beat it's more kind of groovy like more snare heavy kind of stuff and a lot of the riffing it's just sort of down-tuned rock riffs with that ever-presence of lead guitar the real thing that sort of elevates into the realm of you know death metal adjacent is that sort of screen vocal delivery although if you're used to any of those Arch Enemy albums, you'll uh, you'll know it's it's a very understandable, clear voice. But there, there's there's enough edge to it to make it still, you know, a bit abrasive, which obviously is a necessary factor of this. And the whole like sort of production and guitar tone gives the thing a very murky, metallic edge. But it is clearly rooted in the you know the realm of a sort of love for classic rock as well. Um, and yeah, like all the, all the riffs are very passable in that sense, and it's it's more about creating these grooves, catchy melodies, and 
yeah, quite memorable choruses as well. And that's that's where like the album excels most of those kind of moments. Songs like uh Turncoat uh, or Cambodia or even like the title track have some really, really memorable kind of hooks in them. There are some fun little sides and like, neat ideas like scattered throughout as well. The the you know, are atypical for the genre. There's like a like a twenty second moment at the end of Turncoat, a like really catchy, pretty like the highlight track of the album for me, where it just goes into this like very odd like Tom heavy drum groove over this like atmospheric acoustic riff which is just a very very strange term with these like ethereal female clean vocals on it and and that that same vocalist uh susan falberg comes back on another track as well and adds some like sort of interesting additional cleans there's a couple of instrumentals but they they don't really stand out so much it's more the odd moments within tracks like crops in the waist as has quite a cool sort of drop into a kind of clean tone guitar like odd break these are these are only slight touches but it's just things to you know deviate from the formula of, of doing like a a classic death and roll um the highlights part still though as i say are they these big choruses like lots of noticeable hooks and these amazingly melodic solos like it really is a case of matthias just being given a huge amount of space in the middle eight of every track and often towards the end as well to, to just go wild and really um work out what he's best at despite being out on uh candlelight records it does feel like a an album that's like relatively done with a shoestring like the the mix of it is pretty raw but actually kind of works in his favor because it just gives the album a bit more edge that kind of suits the vocal delivery so it doesn't like stray over into that really strange territory something uh, like i'd say Gorefest soul survivor is one that comes to mind where the screen vocals over that very rocky influence stuff feel like the wrong singers wandered onto the project this the the screen vocals are a very natural fit between the guitar tone sort of the heavy attack of some of the riffs particularly in say a song like in love and war there are moments that are very metallic and it all feels like a natural choice to have screen vocals not just the uh whoever happened to be there or lack of a kind of classic rock singer but yeah the, the other thing where it just seems like they really cheaped out is the front cover is just absolutely awful image i'm i'm really not sure what's going going on from it it looks like a a kind of still from a monty python animation or something like that very very strange choice yeah it's kind of an interesting one to revisit now because hardly the most original sound like you've heard death and roll like a million times but it is a group of guys who you know must be somewhat attributed with coming up with that sound so they've got more right than most to be to be like retreading old ground in the genre and it's a really fun lesson so i think if you're, if you're looking for a fun like lead guitar heavy hard rock influenced heavy metal album like i think you could have a lot of fun with this one
Next is another Swedish band, but uh, this is a much older release. This is Diabolique with their debut EP, The Diabolique, from uh, 1996, which is kind of a Doom album, but with like a goth tinge, or Doom EP, I should say. Um, the project is fronted by uh, Kristin Wallen, also known as Necrolord, most famed for his um, album cover for Cemeteries and Evil Shade of Grey, or probably more importantly doing all the um dissection uh, covers and the early <laughs> the early emperor album in the nightside eclipse like a legendary artist but also had a bit of a cool kind of career with a couple of quite cult acts like in in the 90s like most notably being on the grotesque demos who were you know an interesting precursor to at the gates and you know i i, I think absolutely excellent for one of those a great example of one of those brilliant swedish bands that never quite made it out of the demo phase but released like 25 minutes of absolutely incredible music he's joined on the album by a couple of guys who don't have a huge amount of credits but the ones they do are kind of legendary bass player bina carlson was in seance for their first two albums for never laid to rest and salt rubbed eyes and salt rubbed eyes is like for me one of the all-time great death metal bass tones that that bass sound is absolutely incredible sadly he doesn't quite recreate that here it possibly would dominate the slightly softer energy of diabolique but um but yeah his bass playing is great on this and then um hans nilsson's playing drums who was in liars in wait um and was in luciferion as well the uh the band that are sort of kind of famed for being the death metal project of a lot of the guys who were also in Lost Horizon, they put out two really cool albums. So yeah, he's he's got some uh, some impressive credits too. But yeah, what we get on this this uh, EP is this really cool mix of of doom and goth music. So it's it's very heavy, quite atmospheric feeling doom, and um, Christian's vocal approach is brilliant he does these super low clean voice like just ultra ultra low like and it's very clean singing but it is so low it's almost like hard to interpret what he's saying and has a kind of extremity to it just by virtue of how incredibly deep he's singing as well because i've said this is a mixture of doom and goth you've probably got quite a sound like in your head that kind of maybe like kind of paradise lost but actually there's a huge amount more attack to this than a lot of those bands tend to go for the drumming is quite complex and ever-changing and the mix of it has this really harsh like cutting snare and kick sound that make it very sort of in your face and like almost staccato in the mix with these rapid shifts and and lots of like drum fills and constant changes and the guitars are quite down tuned and have a really kind of gnarly crunch to them like they're they're like all the riffing is kind of nasty like you could quite easily have put like just taken that core and put some screen vocals on this and made quite a cool like kind of death metal album but instead they've incorporated a lot of like horror movie kind of keys on top like a lot of like faux organ sounds and stuff and that coupled with christian's very deep voice gives this a a very gothic uh energy to it he's credited as well with keyboards and guitar on this so i think you know a lot of that kind of 
slightly more epic nature he bring is is like something he's bringing to the project over the kind of more harsh attack of the uh rhythm section and i really like that kind of vibe of this album where the, there's all the different sort of elements fighting for attention there's songs where the sort of more aggressive rhythm section ring out like sorrows piercing art is far more led by the drums and like the guitars do a lot more kind of aggressive lead playing but then the deep shame of god the shorter closing track lets like the keyboards completely dominate to kind of bring the album to a close like that back and forth is really interesting and the the opening tracks a great kind of melding of all of it stealing fire from the heaven has just lots of ebbs and flows like there's there's moments which are almost just entirely keys and vocals and then some heavier more aggressive stuff and it's filled with just like loads of really great sort of riffs that feel very influenced by the swedish death metal scene these these cool guitar leads that have that element of you know the the left hand path kind of stuff where you yeah, you get the impression this is semi-lifted from like horror movie scores and that but then put over these like drop tuned fast riffs and yeah it just has this very you know <laughs> an energy that fits a band called Diabolique so I found this EP on Bandcamp like about two years back and I have been listening to it a ton since and it is literally in the process of recording this that has dawned on me why I like it so much so I was just listening to the song bigger whipped in wine um which is another one where the drums get a bit faster it gets a bit more blasty and then the vocals over it are very menacing and sinister and uh, the realize what it is it it reminds me of akakaka like it's it's like the clean singing bits of akakaka where it has that very refined you can assume the whole thing is performed by a bunch of men in nice suits but with long hair drinking wine like that just is is the energy of this entire album it's the refined bits of akakaka without the unhinged like black metal explosions um but you know this is, is from 1996 a very cool aesthetic they they sort of came up with here um I, I i can't draw an obvious line of influence this band was picking from i do think they they sort of combined a few ideas and have made this like really cool little artifact of the late swedish kind of death metal scene because as i say these are these guys who all have attached like really solid attachments to the death metal scene being involved in bands like grotesque lies and weights seance uh, luciferion but doing something here that's a little more atmospheric and refined they did go on to do a fair amount more with this band they put out three full-length albums interestingly the the debut wedding the grotesque is essentially a longer version of the ep i'm talking about so an hour long the ep is half an hour and they have like it's like almost the same album cover it has i think all the same songs on maybe i think they might miss the outro but otherwise like the songs will make them down but for whatever reason it just doesn't sound as good because the ep sounds fantastic it's very much not a demo this feels like an incredibly professional recording and over half an hour in length you could almost call this a full-length album i think in many ways it's possibly just called an ep because they knew they were recording a full-length bass not a year later but yeah i'd highly recommend check out the ep don't go for the full length but they, they've they've done two two albums since which i i haven't gotten to which according to metal archives kind of continued in a more rock direction but 
which which I can totally see that feels like a logical progression for this band. But I think what I really like about this is the melding of the the very heavy kind of background of a lot of these musicians with some of those lighter more rock elements is i think that that kind of intersection of those two ideas is what makes uh, the double the diabolique really good getting a little tired so i think i'm gonna make this a slightly shorter episode and just do one more album uh this is another one from the same year 1996 but from portugal and the band is desire with their debut album infinity a timeless journey through an emotional dream so this is very much doom metal but with like a, a death metal influence but i wouldn't call it death doom purely because it is so doomy despite the the vocal approach is almost exclusively a guttural death metal kind of voice throughout a very kind of old school like early 90s death metal approach to the voice and kind of some of the guitar work as well but what makes this so rooted in the doom camp is keyboardist dawn is primarily i think responsible for the sound of this album for, for for context like it's it's split into seven tracks but the two minute long instrumental prologue is all keyboards and on chapter one leaving this land of eternal desire um there is just like two minutes of keyboard build up after the two minute keyboard intro before any guitars come in and the keyboards are so prominent throughout the music and they have this very kind of faux orchestral edge to them where there's like some occasional kind of synth percussion that sounds you know kind of like timpani that kind of thing there's a lot of focus on making it sound like a piano it might it might in fact be piano in places and there's a real like classical composition edge to it where like the keys aren't just adding like some 
big dreamy chords over sections there they're filling out loads of different roles at once with you know multiple sort of like uh, multiple layers of things he's doing where either one hand's doing something very different to the other or he's even layered tracks over himself the guitar when it's um sort of present is doing the kind of slow heavy doom thing where it's lots of melancholic lead passages that are often very simple but very iconic the drums like they, they are actually relatively interesting they're certainly not fast but there's a lot of fills and a lot of interesting stuff but they're, they're sunk quite far back in the mix as say it's very front to center these keyboards and the vocals actually are extremely prominent in the mix um vocalist here as they does has this really distinct old school death metal deep growl occasionally flows in some black metal screams as well that are kind of like off in the background which which work really nicely but for the say that the whole of the first track it's just in that low register voice and i, I really really love his voice on that song um yeah and the, the the guitars like they there's quite a heavy tone to them but the ever-present keyboards means this album is always it's it's far more sad than it is brutal and then and, and what's odd about that is is that the very brutal vocals are are kind of such a natural fit with it i mean certainly for a debut from 96 i would expect there be to be some influence on this from like the early recordings of the peaceful free it does it does feel somewhere in that vein there's there's that level of kind of pretension to it as you can imagine from a title like a timeless journey for an emotional dream also the way the album structured i said it was seven songs but this is one of those albums it, it just plays straight into this i i haven't listened to this while like not looking at the tracks and i could not tell you for the life of me where the song breaks are and they seem kind of like absolutely bizarre and broken down kind of on paper where you have an intro a 16 minute long song two 10 minute long songs and then like a load at the end that are just like really short and like interlude -y. but I, I don't know where the choice has been made to kind of cut stuff up it just feels like it really should be one track or at least two tracks with you know break for each side of a vinyl i i don't i really don't understand the uh the the track splitting logic but i mean maybe it's just to get more uh more very epic song titles in in delight with the mermaid uh forever dreaming shadow dance like <laughs> you get the air of what they're going for and that's why i say there's a little little bit of like the the peaceful free in there but via way of like you know the portuguese take on this the album cover is quite an odd one as well um this this sort of f like female figure who kind of looks like like really hard to tell what she's wearing but it looks like some very dramatic costume looking out from a cliff face over a sea but the whole thing's tinted red and there's a really goofy font of um use for the title but it if, yeah if it wasn't for the really excellent band logo that looks kind of like the master's hammer logo this could look like the cover of a really trashy romance book but the the logo's so good it kind of saves the whole thing what's interesting as well for a debut is like the mix and recording of this sounds fantastic and it's always a difficult thing to say how much is to credit the band and how much is credit who recorded them but the the most of the band members have like some sort of demos in various projects before this but this is the first full length apparently anyone were on and it sounds incredibly professional the yeah the the playing is ridiculously tight the keyboards make it feel so 
epic and atmospheric and really the biggest flaws of this are just looking back at an old doom album like this and seeing kind of some of the overly used tropes of the genre like i said like the vocals are all in that deep guttural range but i forgot of course because it's a doom album from the 90s there is some important whisper vocals going on every so often for for dramatic effect and like some of those sort of keyboard choices are, are a little cheesy but it's um it all works like it's yeah it's a very a very cool album with um it it, it kind of hits that mark that they're going for this deeply emotional really kind of dramatic feel and they keep that tone really consistently for the full hour runtime and as i say it just like naturally progresses as one giant 50 minute long song and it's not tedious in the slightest like the idea of a 50 minute long doom song it's a hard sell like not to be too blunt about it but that's something that could just be total shit if a band didn't have like the grasp of writing something this complex and varied albeit you know each individual part is probably not that complex to play but i feel i feel they had like a real scope for making this very cinematic sound and possibly over crediting the the keyboard player there but everyone's everyone's part is really interesting in this like the musicianship of the four guys involved is fantastic and like the little guest touches they bring in like there's a there's a female vocalist who comes in and adds some like operatic moments but kind of in the background so it doesn't really dominate things just little little appearances um there's moments of like acoustic guitar that they like they blend quite seamlessly in with the the heavy like uh distorted guitar which which has an uh, incredible effect i always really enjoy when bands can pull that off of having a dueling kind of acoustic and electric guitar yeah it's lots of like clever little ideas like desire desire came up with something very interesting on infinity and while clearly drawing from a lot of those influences considering it's 1996 i think they were to something very original for the time it's now i only came across like, someone sort of mentioning it a couple of months back i'd never heard of it before but it feels feels like one of those early ones that could have had a big influence i as I say, I just, it was relatively new to me. I've just had a bit of a Google and I realise I'm kind of off on the idea of uh, it, it being ahead of its time. 96 is just about the period, like say the Peaceful Free, all those bands got into like singing clean and it's, you know, past Tiamat doing Wild Honey, Catatonia making that kind of turn as well. So it is about two years late off being really influential. Sorry, I put that error down to being tired. That being said, just because it is, like, say, another one in a genre that was very much burgeoning at the time, it's a very strong example of that genre, and I highly worth your time. Right, I think that'll do it for this episode. Sorry, it's a little bit of an unfocused one. I just really felt like talking about kind of a couple of albums I've been enjoying recently rather than trying to find a theme to lump them all together around um yeah i hope it wasn't too disjointed going from deeds of fest to worm phlegm i realize that is a strange choice um anyway yeah as i say like one of the the albums i think a couple of this actually might have been recommended to me by listeners so um if you do want to get in touch and recommend me stuff um phil's breakfast metal on facebook at breakfast metal on twitter um search for us on instagram as well or if you want to send a longer message um 
philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com like um i try my best to respond to everyone who um who gets in touch and if you do send uh send links to albums you think i'll enjoy i almost certainly will check it out thanks a lot for listening (laughs) 